0: The last time we talked about the rise of Black Wall Street, which was the Greenwood town in Tulsa. And today we're going to talk about the fall of Black Wall Street, which really would more aptly be described as the destruction of Black Wall Street, the decimation of the area. So let's start at at the beginning. Dick Rowland was a Black teenager, who entered Drexel High Rise office building. He got on the elevator to go up to one of the only Black restrooms in the city. Shortly after getting on the elevator, there was a scream heard from the white female elevator operator whose name was Sarah Page. After that, a lot of rumors flew around saying that he tried to sexually assault her until finally got to the rumor that he actually did sexually assault her. Now, none of this was true. However, this is what was being said. So, the very next day, the authorities came to Roland's home in Greenwood and they arrested him. About 9 p.m. that night, 25 men from the Greenwood community, some of them armed, who were prior World War I vets, they went downtown to see about Roland because they were concerned that he would be lynched and prior to having due process and a trial. They asked the sheriff if they could help guard the building. The sheriff said no. They eventually left. However, in the meantime, they came back at 10 p.m. because In the interim, an angry white mob went to the courthouse demanding the release of Roland, and the sheriff, Willard McCullough, refused to turn Roland over to them, and in fact, he barricaded the floor to protect the young man. At 10 p.m., about 75 Black men from Greenwood went back down to the courthouse, but this time there were about 1,500 white men who came down. They were significantly outnumbered, and a lot of those guys also were armed, so the black men left and went back home to Greenwood. In the meantime, late at night, a whole huge mob of white people went to Greenwood and completely destroyed the town. They had weapons. They shot and killed people who were not armed. They burned down the entire business district. They burned down and destroyed 1,200 homes and all kinds of other properties. It was about 35 blocks worth of property that they destroyed. 10,000 people in the Greenwood community became homeless as a result of these incidents. Not only was the battle occurring on the ground. Airplanes were going overhead and dropping some turpentine bomb-like equipment so that homes, houses, and buildings would burn and be destroyed. By the time this whole evening of devastation was over, Greenwood was essentially gone. What was difficult and horrible about this, if that wasn't enough, because that was plenty, the governor did order martial law. However, when the martial law was implemented, even though the Black people had not started this race riot, and in fact, they were the victims of it, 6,000 Black people were taken into custody. And they were blamed for what occurred, even though the white residents were really the perpetrators. At the end of all of these events, many people in Greenwood attempted to get funds to rebuild. The city refused to provide funds. The insurance companies where they had policies also denied the claims and refused to pay the claims so that they were unable to rebuild in an easy way. By this time, The discrimination ordinances that were in place were so severe, much worse than when Greenwood was first built. Jim Crow was in full force, and there were even ordinances in place to prevent them from rebuilding. Eventually, a man named B.C. Franklin, who was a lawyer in another part of Oklahoma, did help to rebuild, though it was quite difficult and never quite became the same because eventually In other parts of the country where there were better opportunities, the children of the residents of Greenwood, the ones who had gotten educated, they left and went on to a different and a better life. What was also sad and tragic in this situation is that when the firefighters did come to Greenwood to try to put the fire out, the rioters threatened the firefighters and would not allow them to quench the fires. And the false belief that the Black people actually were responsible and started this continued, which was another tragedy. Eventually, the charges against Dick Rowland were dropped. They concluded that what really happened is as he stepped into the elevator, he may have stumbled, he may have accidentally stepped on the elevator operator's foot. Whatever happened, he did not assault her There was no sexual assault and nothing was done intentionally, even though that was the lie that was told about what happened and what was going on. The other thing that was really tragic about this situation is that after it all happened, the official report claimed that only 36 people were killed. However, it is believed that as many as 300 were probably killed in this mob riot, and the powers that be built unmarked graves and hastily buried all of these people so that there would be no evidence of anything that happened. Initially, some of the white members of Tulsa bragged about the bloodshed and the incidents, and they made postcards and sold them to show the devastation. Shortly after that, they stopped promoting what happened because they didn't really want the story be told. They didn't want to have any kind of trail or trace of what they had done. And in fact, no whites were charged at all with any of the crimes in this race riot. They buried the story. Nobody told the story. It was expunged from newspapers, history books, and so on and so forth. And the white people didn't want to tell the story because they did not want to jeopardize the oil boom industry that was in swing at the time. The Black people so traumatized by this event also didn't want to tell the story because they didn't want their children to be so traumatized and they didn't want their children to become hopeless about life. So they didn't want to transfer the fear to their children about what occurred. So this story remained buried for a long time, and it was only in the 1990s that a lot of it started to come out again. And there were residents in Greenwood who lived to be over 100 years old, and they were eyewitnesses to these events, were able to say what happened. In addition, there were journalists at the time, Black journalists, who actually wrote down what happened. And some people had those records and were able to produce those as well. It's only been as recent as 2020 and 2021 that some of those coffins and graves have been unearthed to show that they were put in mass graves unmarked so as not to be detected. This was a very tragic event and the destruction of Black Wall Street was severe because these people had worked so hard with everything they had and everything was destroyed. And what's interesting is that they were not the only Black community across the country that met with similar outcomes. So there was a lot going on across the country in other states as well. So what do I want us to take away from this? We want to take away from it. Number one, we must face the truth of our history, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's only the truth that will set us free. And it's one of the things I appreciate about the Jewish people concerning the Holocaust. So many today are even denying that the Holocaust ever happened. And yet the Jewish people continue to tell the story that it did happen. Well, in the United States and in Africa, we had the Ma'afa, which was the great destruction. It's a word similar to Holocaust. And we must tell the truth about what happened because when you don't tell the truth, these same things happen over and over again. And I see in our country the seeds of the same mindset still under the surface that can be watered and brought up inflame again. So we really must be vigilant about what's going on. We're in a season right now in the United States, number two, where people are rewriting our history. They're changing and sanitizing the history from what it really was. And since my paternal grandmother was born in the 1800s and I had a relationship with her until she died and her parents were enslaved, I know what happened as well. So you can hide it if you want to, but there's still enough of us around who do know what really took place. So when you are in a season of hiding the truth, evil will flourish. In Tulsa, segregation increased, racism increased, and the Ku Klux Klan thrived so that by the mid-20s, there were at least 100,000 Ku Klux Klan members in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Also, we need to understand these events because there's a misunderstanding of what Black people do and why, because there is a trauma associated with all of these evil acts that have been perpetrated against people. And so, even though there's trauma, if you don't know the truth, you don't know that the people are traumatized. You don't know why they're traumatized or what they've been through or what might explain their behavior. And even when I was in Ghana, I saw that people, though they didn't have words for it and didn't totally understand the history themselves, their fear of losing people was still in their behavior because people were stolen every day years ago from the shores of Ghana and taken into slavery. So when we think about policies in the workplace, also afoot today is a move that says there has been no systemic racism. However, when you study these stories of the past and Jim Crow laws and things that were put in place, there were systemic and systematic approaches to disenfranchise people over and over again. And some of that is still in our society. So in your businesses, there may be policies, there may be practices that exist that have their roots in a nefarious purpose. So it's important to understand that, to really take a close look at those policies and practices and to end the ones that are racist, to end the ones that disenfranchise citizens of this country. Even those laws about your grandfather had to be a landowner in order to vote In businesses, there are similar laws hidden in there, similar practices hidden that still affect us today. So that's why it's important to remember. So I want to conclude with a verse that is in Matthew, the sixth chapter, starting with verse 19. And it says, "'Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth "'where moth and rust destroy "'and where thieves break in and steal, "'but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven.'" where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I will say this. We are entitled to live lives of safety, health, and prosperity in the United States. And it is still wrong to tear down other people's belongings and their homes, such as was done in Greenwood, in Oklahoma. And at the same time, we must remember that we are ambassadors here, not citizens here. Our real home is elsewhere. And so we have to keep a heavenly perspective because there are times when everything that we own on this earth is destroyed, and yet we still have a reason and a purpose to go on. God has a plan nevertheless. So keep that in mind, no matter what happens in your life. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan, for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.